Lamentations chapter 3, studying on Sunday nights, Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight without a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and just wave, and they will spot you and put a Bible in your hands that are marked to our passage that we're studying this evening. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you uh, tonight. As we come back in with a little bit of an absence from the book of Lamentations, the uh, good to be reminded it was written by the prophet Jeremiah, and uh, the theme of the book is mourning. It is uh, made up of five chapters. Each of the chapters is an individual uh, funeral dirge or funeral song that uh, Jeremiah has written. And we remember that uh, who is the funeral for? What are the songs, uh, these funeral songs being sung over? They're being sung over the city of Jerusalem that has uh, died, so to speak. It's been conquered and destroyed by uh, the Babylonians and the Babylonian Empire. And uh, so it is a lament over the, the death, the tragic death, the unnecessary death uh, of the southern kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. We remember as well that the theme uh, of the book, one of the great values of the book, is that it uh, shows us in uh, technicolors. They used to say when I was young, uh, technicolor, the, the consequences of sin. And, uh, that, and it confirms the, one of the great passages concerning sin uh, in the Bible, and that is the way of the transgressor is hard. No matter how it's portrayed in the culture, even within our own minds, or how it's portrayed by the media or movies and so forth, the glamorizing of sin, here we get a glimpse at a good long hard look at uh, the, the destructiveness uh, that is found on a path of sin and rebellion against God. And it's a very, very narrow, uh, necessary uh, instruction. Uh, in chapter 3, and we pick things up in chapter 3, verse 40, uh, early in chapter 3, uh, Jeremiah, and in chapter 3, this third uh, funeral dirge is really the most personal of all of them. We remember that uh, last time that he spoke about the personal price that he paid uh, to be a witness to the Lord in the midst of a very apostate Jerusalem and Judah. But then also in that same chapter, you might remember that he spoke about the fact that uh, there was hope for Judah, hope for Jerusalem, uh, and that is in turning back to God. There is always hope, no matter how far down we've sunk in the mercy uh, of God. And as Jeremiah put in verse 22 earlier in the chapter, it is through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, uh, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Any situation God is involved in, there is hope in. And so this encouragement then to turn back to God is where we pick things up now in uh, uh, verse 40 of chapter 3. And at this point in this uh, chapter, he uh, calls on uh, the southern kingdom of Judah to repent, to return to the kind of life, a godly life, uh, that God can uh, bless. And he says, let us search out and examine our ways. It's the first step in all of that. Uh, certainly when our life, uh, hopefully we never find ourselves in this place, but if we do, and uh, because of sin that we've committed, we find ourselves in a place uh, sitting on an ash heap somewhere, our entire lives completely destroyed uh, by virtue of our sin and our decisions. Uh, the way back to God always begins, as Jeremiah puts it here, let us search out and examine our ways. To say, God, search my life out. I want you to reveal to me every sin, every attitude, every speck of ungodliness that landed me in this place, and I want you uh, to show it uh, to me and then take an honest look at our lives in the light of the Word of God. And then Jeremiah encouraged them and turned back to the Lord. Uh, here you have uh, repentance from sin. Here you have uh, confession of sin, asking God for pardon. That's the next step in any restoration. He goes on in verse 41 to say, let us lift up our hearts and our hands 
to God in heaven. When we lift our hands in worship or we lift our hands in prayer to the Lord, the lifting of hands is the universal sign of surrender. It is to acknowledge, all right, Lord, I'm not the boss of my life anymore. I'm not in charge of my life anymore. I have been, and look what I've produced. I surrender now, fresh and anew, uh, to you and your plan for my life. And verse 42, we have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not uh, pardoned. And that confession, uh, no excuses for the sin, confessing that God's judgment uh, was uh, just. And then as he goes into uh, verse 43, uh, he describes uh, these judgments uh, as well uh, as their effects. He said, you have covered yourself with anger and pursued us and have slain and not pitied. And here he, he talks about, you know, the fact that God, uh, it, at the core of everything that happened behind even the Babylonians was God working to chasten them and to judge them. And here's a, a graphic description of, of the judgment. You've covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. There's a very, very uh, precious verse in the book of Isaiah that speaks of God's judgment as, as his strange uh, work. It isn't, he never is excited to uh, judge or to chasten his children. Uh, he could wish that he would never have to do it. it it's not something that he wants to do. And, and it's the, the thing that he wants to be the unusual or the strange thing that marks his relationship with any of us as Christians. But when people do, as, as Judah had done here, they forced him now to express uh, his love. And God's uh, chastening is an expression of God's love. We say, God loves me. Yes, he loves me. And he loves me enough to spank me. His, loving, you know, his love isn't always like lollipops and uh, a lazy boy chair and ice cream sundaes. Uh, it can, God's love is, is serious, as we saw this morning. It always what, does what is best for uh, a person, and sometimes a good spanking is, is good. God didn't want to do this. It is his strange work. And then as Jeremiah thinks about the consequences of, of sin, he said, you have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. Probably the first casualty uh, of sin and the willful disobedience against the Lord, the first thing that goes out the window is a prayer life. Uh, because the, uh, you know, number one, we, we don't sense any kind of boldness in our life for approaching God in prayer. Uh, we know that, we know what we are and what we're doing, and so why pray? God can't, uh, you know, bless us in, in that, that condition. And so, and then our heart just gets hardened uh, to the Lord. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. The only confidence that we have when we ha that we have in prayer is the confidence that comes with an obedient life. So the first casualty of all of this is prayer and, uh, and, a, and a sense of intimacy with God. He then declares the, the, the second consequence in, in verse 45, and that is uh, humiliation. And sin ultimately humbles us. And unfortunately, what it does ultimately is that it humbles us publicly. And that that's what he talks about, how sin leads to public humiliation. You have made us an off-scouring and refuse in the midst of the peoples. All of our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and snare have come upon us, desolation and destruction. He goes on uh, to describe his experience as he's witnessing of this judgment upon uh, Judah. Again, so unnecessary. All they had to do was just turn, and everything would have changed. And I think uh, many of us know in our own lives how many friends or loved ones we have known, and, and you tell them, and you tell them, and you tell them, and you tell them, and they, and they don't listen. And 
And they don't even cry for their own sin. They don't even cry for their own, the, the consequences of the sin. And they think that they're bearing the worst consequence of their decisions, but they aren't. It's the godly people that watch them and pray for them and know how tragic and unnecessary this is that always pays the greatest price emotionally and spiritually and physically far more than the person that's in uh, the middle of it. And Jeremiah describes what this did to him. My eyes overflow with rivers of water. Uh, Again, this is why he's known as the the weeping prophet. He's talking about the tears that he cried for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes uh, bring suffering to my soul. It's too much uh, to, to even watch because of all the daughters uh, of my uh, city. As he goes on in, in uh, verse 52, uh, he begins to speak a little bit about his uh, prayer for uh, deliverance from his enemies. We get some insights into how uh, he was treated here during the siege against Jerusalem when he was uh, held uh, captive. He said, my enemies without cause, completely innocent I am, they hunted me down like a bird. Uh, they silenced my life uh, in the pit. And we remember from Jeremiah, the prophecy, uh, the book of Jeremiah, that uh, his enemies uh, more than once threw him down into a pit filled with mud and filled with water. And, uh, and, and here he gives the reason in order to silence my life, to silence his voice and his, his prophecies, out of sight, out of mind. And so uh, to be thrown down down into the pit for this reason, and then just, and then they threw stones at him, uh, down into the well, down into, into the cistern, threw stones at him. What kind of uh, grown-ups are these? These are supposed to be God's people, and, uh, and this was uh, how they treated him. The waters flowed over my head. It gives us an idea that in at least one of those cisterns that he was in, he was trouble, having difficulty keeping his head above water and not drowning in, in, the, in the cistern. And, uh, and the circumstances were so dire for him uh, that he, he gave up hope at all of surviving it. He said that uh, my, I am cut off. This is going to be the death uh, of me. He declares, I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit, and you heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sighing and, and from my cry for help. You drew near on the day that I called on you and said, do not uh, fear. And so here in the midst of it, he remembers God's faithfulness to him in the midst of the trial, and God had been faithful to him. It wasn't an easy trial, uh, but God's, uh, God's word and God's promises had the final say uh, in those circumstances and in, 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 those, in, in that situation. He said, Lord, you have pleaded uh, the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. Oh, Lord, you have seen how I am wrong. Judge my case, for you have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. He's talking about how the wrongs they've done to him, uh, one after the other. I mean, you have uh, heard their reproach against me, O oh Lord. Uh, all the bad things they're saying about me behind my back. Imagine that. I mean, here he is. He's a joke in the city of Jerusalem. He's a... He's a uh, they, they, there were, how many Jeremiahs does it take to change a light bulb or whatever? It, it was just any, anything. It wasn't enough to humiliate him in this way. They had to discredit and ruin his name and so forth. And uh, everybody's joking about uh, this fool, you know, and all their schemes against me, the lips of my enemies, and their whisperings against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. And so he reminds God of the treatment that he had received, uh, not from the Edomites, not from the Philistines, but even from among God's people. And here you have, uh, here you have 
the, the, the Jews here uh, and uh, religious and, and, and outward in their uh, kind of going to the temple and keeping the sacrifices and so forth, had no interest in God at all, no interest in obeying Him at all, and, and here they are persecuting someone who, who was serious about uh, his relationship with the Lord. It is a miserable, miserable place to be in. And so he calls out uh, for uh, God to repay and uh, to, uh, you, you know, take care of his enemies, you know, on his behalf. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And, uh, but he wants to let the, you know, let the Lord know what his input might be on, on all of this. You've never done that? At least in your mind, oh my Lord, I mean, this is what they've done here. And uh, I think uh, to really make them learn a lesson for what they've done here against me, this would be something in order, you know, and, and you, you lay it out and we think it'd be the best thing that God could do. And then he completely disregards our, um, our daydreams. And then when we see ultimately, because he does promise to repay, and to defend us, we ultimately we see that was much better than anything we had in mind. But here Jeremiah prays. He prays in line, right in line with the Old Testament law, an eye for an eye and, and a tooth for a tooth under the Old Covenant. He said, repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Do to them what they've done to me and uh, give them every bit back, you know, every uh, pit they threw me and every stone they threw at me, every taunt, every uh, joke they made of me. Turn it all back upon them. And then, interesting, he said, give them a veiled heart, your curse be upon them. When he calls upon God to curse them, you think about all the ways you could ask God to curse a person, and uh, his, the curse that he asks is in the form uh, of veiling their heart. Lord, uh, uh, take away your voice, a consciousness of your presence. I mean, intimacy with you. Remove that from them in their hypocritical state. In your anger, Lord, uh, and the idea here is to do it fully, uh, you know, Lord, uh, completely. In your anger, pursue and destroy them from under the heavens uh, uh, of the Lord. And so this call for uh, justice and this call for vengeance. Of course, in the New Testament, nothing wrong with what Jeremiah uh, prayed here under the old covenant. It was the way that it was. Jesus uh, modeled for us a different way uh, on the cross when he, he cried out uh, 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 and said, God, Father, forgive them for they, they know not what they do. And that's a completely different way of handling our adversaries. It's a more powerful way. It leaves it even more in the hands of the Lord and uh, it gives the Lord something uh, even more powerful to work with. Uh, one of my favorite Proverbs in, in the book of Proverbs is that uh, a gentle tongue breaks a bone. When something is spoken from the Lord and it's spoken gently, it's, it's, a, it's as impossible to ignore uh, as a broken bone. And uh, the only way that you can protect yourself uh, from that when it comes from the Lord is, is to completely sear your heart uh, to the Lord. And so the Lord tells us that we're to bless those who curse us and, and, and those who persecute us and so forth. It's the higher ground. Uh, but uh, Jeremiah uh, lived under the covenant that, that he lived in, chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a very interesting chapter. It describes all of the, um, uh, the uh, awfulness, really, of the siege and of the humiliation uh, of Jerusalem. And it's kind of like this is maybe the best way to picture uh, this fourth uh, funeral dirge in your mind. Um, if Jeremiah was, uh, you know, alive today and he was going to write a dirge and something that would communicate to us, look at, don't follow this end. Don't rebel against God. Don't go this way. This is the consequences of sin. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. If somebody, if Jeremiah was around today, what he would do is go into Jerusalem with a video camera, and he would kind of videotape it. But of course, he lived in an age in which there were no videos and no video cameras. The, the reporters in those days reported by virtue of 
of writing something, a description. And so what you have in chapter 4 is Jeremiah now following the destruction of the city. He walks through the city of Jerusalem, and now he describes for us uh, the consequences the, uh, of, of all of this so that we can learn that lesson. This is the destructiveness that always uh, follows sin. And, and that's the, the way to, uh, to look at it. He begins in, in talking about the temple. He says, how the gold has become dim and how changed the fine gold, the stones of the sanctuary scattered at the head of every street. And so he begins his walk through the city and the, the description uh, with, uh, of the city with a description of the destruction of the temple. Because we are, under the new covenant, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's almost no way to kind of put this and say, well, to the Old Testament Jew, it would be like this for us as Christians, at least not an illustration that I can come up with. Uh, the, the, the temple represented the presence of God within their midst, what it represented to the Jewish people. Uh, and to have that uh, not only defiled by the Babylonians, but utterly destroyed, stripped of its gold, uh, all of the walls torn down, and the, and the stones not just toppled one off of the other, but the stones dragged into the, to the various street corners surrounding the temple, a complete destruction. And uh, this would have been the most heartbreaking news uh, in terms of the consequence of sin, because this was at the center of, of their worship of God. This was the place they met with God. And so he talks about the first casualty of all of this was, uh, was their, their worship. It was uh, the temple. And so all of the fire, all of the dust, all of the everything related to a siege and then an actual battle, it covered all of the gold. And, and certainly the gold was being stripped away. Much of the temple was overlaid with gold on the interior. Babylonians would have certainly taken all of that away. The stones are scattered in every direction. And so he puts that the camera's on that in our mind, and we see it, what it once was and now what it is. And is this a price that's worth paying uh, to continue in sin? He then goes on to speak about the precious sons of Zion, uh, the valuable as fine gold, and how they are regarded as clay pots, uh, broken, uh, and the work of the hands of the potter. And so he's uh, taking us now as we've got the video camera in our mind, and he's walking us past one street after another, and one street after another, you see these bodies of young men uh, strewn all over the place, their bodies mangled within the streets. I don't know the last time you've ever seen a mangled body. I hope you never see it, um, but in a war situation, and the city is filled with this, and he, and he wants this, to the, the graphicness of this, to impact anyone who's thinking of following Judah uh, in that way. When he speaks about the precious sons of Zion, describing them as valuable as fine gold and the waste that it is for an entire generation to be killed in battle, for what? For nothing. Uh, for the sins of their fathers and for their own sins. Here's the recognition that the most valuable thing any serious nation has within it is its next generation, not its money, not its wealth, not its industrial complex, but its next generation. And uh, because if that next generation goes sideways, does not have a godliness, does not have godly character, they will fritter away and destroy everything that is handed uh, to them. And when you lose a generation as they lost a generation, it takes generations to recoup that, uh, that generation. We spoke about it a number of Sundays ago, but you remember in Singapore where that uh, young, uh, young man from America went over there and uh, did some uh, vandalizing and, and tagging and, and graffiti and so forth there, and he was caught and he was sentenced to be uh, caned. Uh, in Singapore for his actions. And you, you might remember as we spoke about the great uproar in the United States of America over how barbaric, how awful you're going to, in, in, you know, uh, use corporal punishment on a grown adult here in this way. He might actually have a welt afterwards and a little bit of bleed.
meeting or something like that. And, and all of our softness, all of our weakness. But you look at Singapore, and, and what was it they were communicating to the world? What they were communicating to the world, and, and should have been an offense to us, but was not, was communicating to the world was that we care about our young people more than you care about your, your young people. We recognize that our young people are the future of this nation, and we will not allow you to send your people into here to uh, represent this as something normal uh, like you do in your country here because we value the next generation and what they mean to any nation more than you do. And, and it's true. And here is the uh, bodies lying in all directions, an entire generation of young men uh, dead in battle. And then he talks about the mothers deserting their young, and he comes in with the camera here, and uh, you see it within your, you know, your mind's eye. Even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young. Uh, if you ever, uh, you know, a jackal, how many of you have a pet jackal? Just a quick uh, show of, no, nobody would have a pet jackal. You call somebody a jackal, you're calling them the most bloodthirsty, uh, uh, compassionless, a vicious animal in existence. When a human being is called a, a, a jackal, he's being called a, an animal of the worst kind. And yet Jeremiah says, here is the jackal, the jackal, even in, in its condition, I mean, it will tear anything from limb to limb, if you've ever seen them on uh, these nature shows and so forth. Even they uh, will offer the, the, their uh, breast to nurse their young. But as Jeremiah is walking through the city, he sees the daughter of my people is cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. Uh, the tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young Young children ask for bread, and no one breaks it for them. Uh, the mothers that have survived the battle are now wandering out through the city. The children are left without uh, even the nourishment of the mother's breast and so forth. And, and here you have human beings dropping down to a level uh, be, below the animal kingdom and uh, even in the care for the young. You ever, you ever, speaking of these animal shows, you ever watch them? Or, you know, if you ever, every once in a while, like every year or something, I'll, something will pop up and I'll go onto YouTube and watch like a, um, a, a boa constrictor and a crocodile wrestling. Anybody ever uh, uh, done that? Yeah, it's, it's perversion for sure. But, I, uh, but then, you know, you click on that and then it, it tells you 20 other ones you can go to, you know, and pretty soon you've got Godzilla and King Kong on film and you're going over to see this, this kind of thing. But you see the savagery of all of it. And we think, oh, this is awful, this is just terrible. And, the, and, and yet, uh, honestly, uh, human history, man has, has gone far below all of that. It, you take any, any uh, what goes on in any major city in the world on any given night is something that would put a jackal to shame in terms of how people are murdered or how people are treated or sexually abused or, or whatever it might be. I'll tell you, we need God to keep us from, uh, I mean, we're uh, created in the image of God originally. We've fallen from that. But our capacity for good is way beyond any animal, but our capacity for evil uh, is, uh, is way beyond theirs as well. Those who ate uh, delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who are brought up in scarlet, they embrace the ash heaps. He takes us now out to the dump in Jerusalem, and here you see these people who uh, just days before were clothed in royalty, very, very wealthy in these garments, and they're reduced to just like everybody else, digging through the garbage, trying to find something that doesn't have a, 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 you know, less worms than the next thing you might grab out of the pile in order to uh, sustain. The punishment of the iniquity of uh, the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. Well, now, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, it's like uh, it's proverbial for the, uh, the fiercest destruction and judgment that God can pour out uh, upon a city. And yet Jeremiah says what happened to, Jer uh, to Jerusalem 
was worse than what happened to Sodom. And you think to yourself, how in the world can that be? Well, in, in the sense that Sodom was destroyed in a moment. Uh, the people that were judged by God there, uh, by the time that fire hit that city and that judgment, uh, it was you're alive one moment and the next moment you're dead. Uh, this, uh, this was a, a siege and a, a, a judgment and a starvation that uh, carried on. The siege of Jerusalem went on for 18 months. And so this was a long, slow death. Uh, and uh, the judgment of, of Sodom was preferable to that one. Her Nazarites, and this is speaking of her princes, were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. Uh, they were more ruddy in body than rubies. So it's talking about all of these young princes. They're in the prime of life, and they're all buff and all their muscles and, and the envy, you know, of, of everybody in terms of health, uh, like a sapphire in their appearance. And now, uh, as he takes the camera and rolls them by these folks that are now wandering around the city, he said, now their appearance is blacker than soot. And they go unrecognized in the street. Their skin clings to their bones, and their skin has become as dry as wood. You could just kind of tear it, uh, the malnutrition and so forth that they, they were experienced. In fact, uh, the, he's talking about the fact that they, as he talks about, they go unrecognized in the streets. Uh, their, their fall was so great. Again, this, how they cling to sin uh, and just were so unwilling to give it up, and this was the consequence, but uh, so healthy, so strong before, and then now he, he, he says, look at them. Uh, their skin has changed, and, and, uh, and their skin and bones and so forth. And I think many of us have seen it in people's lives and where uh, that determination to sin and whatever the sins might be, and you see what happens to their physical appearance uh, as a result, the consequences of sin. And all of God's commandments, absolutely written and designed to keep us from ever experiencing this in our lives. And uh, the Lord uh, longs to, uh, doesn't want this to be the portion of any, uh, any person at all. Those slain, as he continues his, uh, his, uh, his description, those slain by the sword uh, are better off than those who die of hunger for those who pine away, stricken for a lack of the fruits of the field. In other words, the whole city is still is filled with starving uh, uh, people. Those and those who were starving uh, looked longingly at those that had been killed in battle because at least their death uh, came, uh, came quickly. A terrible condition. The hands of the compassionate women, uh, the women that you would have looked at before the siege or before the battle and said, that's the most nicest, most kindly, most compassionate, most loving person. Look at how she treats her children. Look at how she takes care of her children. The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children, and they became food for them and the destruction of the daughter of my people. And so Jeremiah, with his kind of narrative and video cam here, uh, goes by the place where these compassionate mothers are now boiling their children in pots in order to, uh, to eat them. I don't, I, uh, again, astonishing where we can go apart from the Lord, and uh, uh, who could even eat a child? Uh, let alone uh, who could boil their own child and, and, uh, and eat that child. And so here you have, again, God's people, the capacity for, uh, for how far you can fall. And so uh, here again, he wants us to see it. He wants us to understand. It, we're not talking again about Philistines. We're not talking about um, pagans that are dancing around some kind of a statue in some other part of the world. This is what can happen to God's people uh, when they leave him. The Lord has fulfilled his fury, and he has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion, and it, is and it has devoured uh, its uh, foundation. Uh, the kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the 
enemy could enter the gates of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, remember, uh, this attack by the Babylonians was when, they, when Jerusalem ultimately fell. It was the third attack by the Babylonians, the third time they conquered Jerusalem. But Jerusalem had been attacked in their history continually uh, by many enemies. And each time that uh, the enemy would come up and it would like, look like the city was in danger of then uh, collapsing or, or, or being conquered. Uh, something would occur that God would step in or, or, or uh, a defeat would occur and God would protect the city. And the reputation of Jerusalem in, in the world was you can never conquer that city. You can never defeat that city. And uh, they, uh, they believed it in their own minds that, uh, that it was impossible to conquer, and yet here it ended up being conquered, shocking not only the Jews, but uh, uh, shocking the whole world who witnessed it. And then he uh, begins, as he kind of explains the, the sins that are behind uh, this great fall, uh, of, uh, uh, behind this this tragic history of Judah, uh, he begins here by uh, pointing out the failure of the prophets and the priests. He said, because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed uh, in her midst the blood of the just. And so the first thing that he uh, indicates his responsibility was the, the failure of the religious leaders, the priests and the prophets and the elders within Jerusalem. And when he describes there at the end of verse 13, uh, he describes them as having shed in their midst the blood of the just. Uh, there was some of that where the priests were involved in that themselves, but mainly he is, he is declaring that they have done this uh, kind of by default. Uh, they allowed the nation to get to the place where it was by failing to confront the nation with its sin and with its idolatry and with its rebellion against God until there was such a small number like Jeremiah who were um, speaking out against the sin that the, the rest of the Jews or the rest of the people could look and say, Jeremiah is a quack. Jeremiah is a crazy man. Do you see any of the other priests or any of the other prophets or any of the other elders acting like this or carrying the same message? No. And it allowed people, the failure of the, the rank and file of those who should have stood up to what was going on, should have been along Jeremiah's side. But because they didn't, they gave an easy excuse to the people to look and put Jeremiah in the crazy category instead of looking and saying, no, this is what all of the religious leaders are warning us of, and we ought to be careful about it. And instead, the message that they gave is everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be uh, wonderful, you don't have to worry about it, don't worry about Jeremiah, that doom and gloomer, I mean, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's so old school now, we found a new way, and, and, uh, and so by their default, their failure in their own uh, mission and responsibility, uh, that's where you know, that was a key to ending up exactly uh, where things uh, en ended up. I, I, I think that, you know, when I look at, well, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, so, uh, and then he describes the prophets and the priests. Well, just a second, I'm wondering whether I should or not. Um, you know, the Bible calls us to be salt and light. And it means that we need to be distinctive, and it calls us as Christians to be that. And it is most important in the leaders, most important. And um, sometimes, I, I, again, I think in the, the age in which we live, with what I see on television and some of the things that I, my connections with the body of Christ, is there is such an obsession right now uh, among, uh, among Christian leaders um, to be a strong encouragement uh, to Christians, but that every message has to be an encouragement and how wonderful they are and how great they are and how God is going to come through. And I understand that here we are Christians, we're in the United States of America, and, and, and we're in a moral decline and so forth, and so 
Christians, are, we are in need of encouragement, perhaps like never before, more encouragement, less, uh, less exhortation maybe than decades ago. I don't know, but, uh, but, but I see it. I mean, I'm, I'm a reasonable person. I can look, and look at something and say, what's behind this? Why is this, this happening? But what I am concerned about is the, uh, uh, um, the fact that I can almost never turn on something on the television in terms that's Christian in nature or even on the radio or anywhere that is exhortive anymore in the face of incredible apostasy and, and in incredible, uh, you know, moving away from the things of the Lord. And we need that voice. We need the prophets and the priests and the elders to speak encouragement. But it can't be all that. It can't be 90% of that. And you know why I say that? I don't say that because of you. Maybe you don't need it. I say it because of me. I love exhortation. And you know why I love exhortation? Because I need exhortation. There's the biggest goofball you could ever know. I keep them hidden week by week from you. Uh, you've got your own goofball to deal with. You don't need to know more about mine. But I, I need exhortation. I need encouragement. But I need to be told when I'm wrong and when I need to straighten up, and I need a strong word in the mix of everything else too, and they failed. Everything was positive. Everything was God is for us. God is great. Grab a promise. Claim a promise, no matter how uh, horrible, you, you know, your obedience might be to the Lord and, and so forth. And it's, it's a disaster. And uh, I would just say, it, it, for you, under, uh, um, you know, my pastoral uh, care, uh, maybe after I'm long gone or, or in your own uh, feeding at the different places that you can get fed spiritually online and so forth, um, make sure that it's not all one thing and uh, be aware of that. We need uh, exhortation as well as encouragement and comfort. And so here are these uh, religious leaders and uh, unfaithful to, uh, to their calling, and they uh, wandered, as uh, Jeremiah tells us, and puts the camera on them, blind in the streets. They have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. Uh, they cried out to them, here are the people now, uh, go away, unclean, go away, go away, do not uh, touch us. And uh, when they fled and wandered, uh, they, those among the nations said, they shall no longer dwell here. So here the priests, after all of this destruction, they have not been faithful to their calling, and then now after all of the destruction, they still want to have a voice in people's lives. And the people look and say, you had all of these years to tell us the truth of what God's Word says, and and you failed to do it, and now you want to come afterwards and tell us what it, what it ought to be, get away from us. We don't want to hear anything that, that you, you have to say. There's a lot of things that I can live with in life, and, um, but one of them I, I, can't, I could never face myself and live with myself on is, is a failure uh, to uh, declare the whole counsel of God. This is why I'm so glad that we go right through the Bible. We hit the encouragement, we hit the exhortation, we hit the warnings, we hit the blessings, we hit all of them in the exact proportion in which they are represented in the world, in the Word. But one thing I never, ever want to hear, uh, when I get into heaven or at the end of my life, to ever have someone come up to me and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you teach the Word? Why didn't you warn me? Why weren't you true uh, to your calling? I can live with, uh, you know, with what Jeremiah lives with and the mocking behind your back and, and the rejection and all of the other thing that goes uh, with being faithful, but I cannot uh, live with that. And that's a good thing to have in our hearts, uh, each of us as we're leaders, not only in a church, but in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in, in our our workplace. And so, as they tried then to be scattered now to, to various nations and so forth, uh, uh, leaving Judah, even the people in the other nations said, get away from us. Uh, we don't respect you at all. Uh, you had your chance, and you failed. And, uh, and so, don't think we're going to give you a spiritual authority now. And then, and then in verse 17, Jeremiah lists kind of four uh, delusions that uh, the population of Jerusalem 
Jerusalem were under during the siege that kept them from uh, repenting. He declares in verse 17, still our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us. You remember that they were hoping that Egypt would step in and save them from the Babylonians, and yet uh, Egypt did not. Uh, the second delusion that they uh, uh, gave themselves to, verse 18, uh, they, he says, they tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were over, for our end uh, had come. And, the, and the, idea that they, the idea that they had that they could successfully resist the Babylonian uh, invasion and attack. And then he declares in, in verse uh, 19, the third delusion that they'd be able to escape the city if they had to, if things really went sideways. Our pursuers were swifter uh, than the eagles of heavens when they finally did uh, attempt to escape the city, they discovered that they couldn't. They pursued us, the Babylonians did, on the mountains, and they lay in wait for us in the wilderness. In verse 20, the fourth delusion is the idea that their king, Zedekiah, would lead them somehow into victory, Zedekiah being very ungodly uh, himself. They say, uh, Jeremiah writes of this, the breath of our nostrils, this was a uh, in the ancient world, a description of a people for their king. Uh, this person uh, brings life. This person is, is important within, within our, our nation. Our, uh, our nation uh, depends, uh, its survival depends upon uh, how this person conducts himself. Uh, so he was called the breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord. Every king was to be uh, concerned about uh, representing the Lord. It was a position given to him by the Lord. Uh, he was caught in their pits of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. When push got to, came to shove, uh, what did Zedekiah do? Uh, King Zedekiah ran from the city, and he tried to flee with his cabinet, and uh, he wasn't even successful fleeing, let alone the whole city. Uh, they caught him, and you remember they killed his uh, his sons and so forth, and gouged his eyes out. And then in verse 21, uh, Edom is watching this judgment of Judah, and they're so excited about it. They've come in to loot, and they've come in to take advantage of, of uh, Judah being down. And so uh, Jeremiah has a word for them. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. The cup shall also pass over to you, the cup of judgment, and you shall become drunk. You're going to drink fully of it and make yourself naked. You're going to be conquered by these same Babylonians. You will be stripped of your clothing. You will be put in chains, and you will be marked, uh, marched off to Babylon uh, as, as well, Jeremiah warns. The punishment uh, of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. I will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish uh, your iniquity, speaking to Edom, O daughter of Eden, Edom. He will uncover uh, your sins. And so here is Edom engaged in the same sins and the same idolatry that Judah was engaged in. And, uh, and they thought, well, uh, Babylon is going to judge them but won't judge us. And they don't realize that God is behind the judgment of the Babylonians. And he didn't like sin in their life any more than he liked sin in the lives of his people. But it is interesting, as Peter uh, speaks about it in the New Testament, that uh, when judgment begins, it always begins in the house of the Lord. He always begins by cleaning up his own house, uh, his own people, before he moves that judgment then into the world. And we see this very thing uh, in the history of, uh, of uh, Judah listed for us here. So we go into chapter 5, the final dirge, and Jeremiah begins it with, Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach. This is Jeremiah's saying as they've hit rock bottom, Lord, uh, don't forget us. Don't forget us. And I mean, when you really hit rock bottom like they have, uh, you're wondering if God will give you a second thought, uh, a thought again or give you a second chance. And, uh, and all he wants, he's not even asking for mercy yet here. He's just saying, God, just uh, remember us 
and uh, uh, don't uh, don't forget don't forget us in the in midst of our our, our uh, reproach in the midst of our uh, disgraced uh, condition. And then in chapter, uh, verse 2, rather, he gives a very, again, a very descriptive, uh, graphic description of, uh, of the consequences of a life uh, of sin and hypocrisy. He says, our, in, our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. They've lost their homes. They've lost the land of Israel. And I don't know, I don't want to, you know, taunt or tantalize anyone unnecessarily who's never been to Israel. But those of you who have been to Israel, and uh, you go through the, the uh, length and the breadth of the land, and you see uh, the miracle that it is, the marvel that it is in the whole world, and, uh, and in that Middle East, and what a wonderful place it would be to live to this day, let alone in those days. An incredible, incredible piece of property that God had given to the Jewish people. And I, I can't, it's because I've been to Israel before that, I, that, that, allow, that causes my heart to break on some kind of a level of trying to understand what it must have been like for a Jew to leave behind uh, for the rest of their life, the beauty of that land, and then go into the Babylonian captivity and wonder whether you would ever, ever see it uh, again. And that was the heartbreak, what they lost. Not just the homes, not just the brick and mortar, not just the big screen uh, television sets inside. They lost the land that God had given uh, to them. He said uh, uh, in verse 3, we have become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows, speaking of the wholesale slaughter of, of the, the male population at that time. All of the women left as widows, so many orphans and waifs as a result of it. We pay for the water we drink, and our wood comes at a price. These things that they just went and got for free, uh, water readily available, wood readily available uh, now because of, of their sin and because of the, uh, they're under the hand of someone else. They have to pay for water and they have to pay uh, for their wood. They pursue at our heels. Uh, we labor and we have no rest. We, are given, uh, we have given our hand to the Egyptians and the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. I mean, the humiliation of this, it kind of reminds you of the um, the prodigal son. There were two prodigals and uh, two prodigal sons in that parable that Jesus told. But the one that went off into the far country and and longing to eat the slop that he was feeding to the pigs and and uh, a, and so forth a, a, and and to realize how, how low his life had gotten. And and here you have this description of uh, the, this proud nation, this nation of such accomplished, this, this nation uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this nation that had been made great by, uh, you know, King David and so forth and had conquered the, that entire part of the world. And now because of their own sin, they're facing the fact that now the Egyptians and the Assyrians have now flooded into the land in their defeat, and now these people that they had once ruled over are now ru ruling over them and treating them as slaves, how everything has gotten turned upside down. And the hard part of it isn't that it's been turned upside down. The hard part of it is living with the fact that it never needed to be this way but that, that, that my decisions have, have put us in this place. That would be the, the agonizing aspect for it, I think, for any man, certainly any uh, woman too. He said, our fathers have sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. And so the, the mention of the fathers who had sinned for generations, and now this generation ends up uh, paying the price uh, for it. I look at, uh, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing when I think, and I don't want to, you know, impose who I am and what I am upon an entire sex or anything like that, but I, I, I um, it, it, there's an awful lot about the day in which God has called me to walk for Him uh, in this world and in the United States of America uh, that uh, makes me... Uh, it makes me ashamed to be a man in this nation sometimes. Uh, 
And uh, when I see what's been glorified, when I see what has been uh, done, when I see what's happening morally and what's being advanced, and sometimes you hope that the record books one day when the history books are written, that it'll show that not every man in the United States of America, just like not every man uh, in the Roman Empire rotted from the inside out, but it reached a tipping point that caused it to go. But not everybody was uh, one thing. I hate the fact that we're, we're, uh, that I'm a part of a generation, though I've had no part in the decision-making on it, that is going to pass on currently a $20 trillion debt uh, onto the generations that are going to follow, uh, that in the time in which I've been an adult in the United States of America, that we haven't become greater morally and greater spiritually, but we've become something lesser. This is something that grates upon the heart of a man uh, and a, a man of God, which we are in this, this room, uh, and, and to look at it and, and to say that, you know, here one day, generations that will follow will look back and say, we're bearing, uh, paying the price for the sins of the earlier generations, and, and to realize that we'll all be painted with, with that brush, despite the fact that uh, we want no part in so much of what, uh, what has happened. And thankfully, by the Spirit of God, we play no part in, in, in the uh, spiritual or the moral demise of, of the nation of the world that we're in. Uh, the lamentation continues, servants rule over us, and there's none to deliver us from uh, their hand. Uh, we get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness, the lawlessness that now marked uh, the land, where to go out and find bread, find some grain and food and so forth, uh, to have head out and look for it was to take your very life into your hand. But you're starving. You have to do it. And, and this is how far they had fallen. And, and again, uh, so unnecessary. Our skin is as hot as an oven because of the fever of the famine, all of the, the, the disease that comes with starvation. They ravaged the women in Zion, the maids in the cities of Judah. Another horrible shame of warfare, ancient and modern times. The first casualty, of course, is, is the women and the raping of the women. And it, it occurred as well in Judah and in Jerusalem. Priests were hung up, or princes were hung up by their hands. And, and so the princes were publicly executed. When it talks about them being hung up by their hands, the idea is that they were killed slowly. They were killed as a public demonstration. They were tortured uh, to death before the population. Again, uh, the consequences. The elders were not respected. In the ancient world, not just in the Jewish culture, but in the ancient world, there was generally a respect for the older generation, and none of that was being shown uh, to the Jews at all, uh, the older uh, men and women in, uh, in, in how they were being treated. Uh, young men ground at the millstone, may, reduced to slave uh, labor. Forget about an education. Forget about a dream. Forget about one day being great. Forget about now doing something great for God. All of it's been lost. All that been reduced now to just slave labor, just grinding under the, the circumstance that we've uh, put ourselves in. Boys stagger uh, under the loads of wood. The elders have ceased gathering at the gate and the young men from their music. And so in, in the ancient world, the older men would gather at the gates and they would talk about uh, the things of the world and, and ideally they would talk about the things of the Lord and so forth. It's kind of uh, flipped a little. Little bit in the old in, in ancient times, there would be uh, the the uh, the elders that would hang out at Starbucks, and uh, at that time in life where you and you even see it come, sometimes you'll see pictures of of the ancient world uh, today or the Middle East where you've got these places where, that are in the shadows, so to speak, out of the hot sun. And what is it? You don't see a bunch of young guys, not in that culture. You go work. But in, uh, here's the old men, and they're just talking. They got their pipes out, and they're drinking their coffee and their tea and their so forth and solving all of the problems of the world and so forth. And, and all of that had been lost. And the young men uh, given to, uh, you know, music. It's a wonderful time in life. 
life where the, the arts are so strong in them and, and hope and expression of what's in their hearts. All of this has been lost, and uh, the joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has been turned into uh, mourning, joy completely disappearing uh, from the land. I don't know what, uh, you know, every generation probably has its, uh, you know, experience on some level. I, I, none of us have experienced anything like what is being described here. But uh, do you remember in, in 2008 and 2009 when the whole economy crashed? And nobody knew where that was going to go. And you remember how, uh, what portion of Modesto, including California and the whole nation, was in foreclosure? I remember having people catch me at the back door and asking if we could, as a church, somehow save their home, as if we uh, could have those kind of resources to do that, the desperation that people had. And maybe, maybe it's just me, but like this incredible funk uh, that just fell upon the whole country and we're just kind of like zombying our way through it. Joy is gone, all of the uncertainty, and what in the world is going to happen, jobs drying up all over the place, and, and the disappearance of joy. I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, a fraction of what uh, went on with them. But it, it made me realize uh, how valuable joy is in life and, and how hard it is when it takes a... Uh, takes a blow, and it certainly did for them. The crown has fallen from our head, and, uh, and woe to us, for we have sinned. And here you have the whole lesson uh, of the book of Lamentations. The way of the transgressor is hard, and, and, and this is the lesson that uh, the book of Jeremiah is written uh, to teach us. Woe is us, for we have sinned. Sin always leads to a life of woe. And uh, whether, you know, whatever the degree might be in terms of, of what's listed, uh, you, you know, here before us uh, in terms of the, the children of Judah, but, but our own lives. It doesn't necessarily have to go this far, though it can, uh, for uh, sin to show itself to be the source always of woe within our, our lives. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, with fox, uh, foxes uh, uh, walking about on it. And so the city is so desolate now that you've got wild animals taking uh, the city back over again and, and the foxes wandering around through the city. You, O Lord, remain forever. So the king is gone. The king is, Zedekiah has been taken uh, captive. The temple's been completely destroyed. But Jeremiah wants us to know, and it's a great way to close the book, that God remains. He still remained the king uh, over Judah and over those people. There was still a Messiah to bring into human history. There was still a future for the Jewish uh, people, no matter how far down uh, we go, First John uh, 4, uh, 1, 8, and 9, it talks about the fact that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us uh, from all unrighteousness. And so, God is always on the throne. He remains there, uh, and He's always there to turn to your throne from generation uh, to generation. So, He remains on the throne, and He would uh, just wait until uh, His own people uh, wanted it to be that way and didn't want to fight with him for the throne of their own life or the land that he had given to them, and that was coming, and it came through the Babylonian captivity. He said, why do you forget us uh, forever and forsake us for uh, so long a time? And, and here he exp he's expressing his godly sorrow and repentance to the Lord. Lord, we're, we're, we're sorry for what has happened. Please uh, in, come back and restore us. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. And so, um, Jeremiah closes the book with an expression of his and their complete dependence upon the mercy and the grace of God and the love of God to bring them back from this condition. And then we know, because we're reading a book historically, that God did exactly that, 
They would be in captivity for 70 years, but again, God did have a future and he did have a hope uh, for them and it was going to be uh, forthcoming and uh, it wasn't the end of the story and it isn't the end of the story for any of our lives as we turn back to the Lord and confess our sin and repent and allow God to be the king in our life once again and then to continue his plan for his life, which he is our life, which he is always uh, eager to do. I think before we, uh, you know, finish as we close this, uh, this book now <clears throat> and we read about the destruction of Jerusalem and uh, that came upon Jerusalem as a result of the, of the sin and the immorality and, the, and the, the idolatry and all of the rebellion and, and, and so, uh, so forth, that, that the Bible teaches that there is a judgment and there is a destruction that is going to come upon the world uh, that is going to make the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah absolutely pale in comparison. Uh, you read the book of, uh, of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, which des describes uh, the seals and the bowls and so forth, these judgments of the great tribulation period. And as you, as you read Lamentations, you see here is Jeremiah in poetic language, and he's trying to put into words to describe what can never be described in words. He's trying to help us understand. And what he says is valuable to us because we can imagine it. But when we read the book of Revelation and we read about the judgment that is to come and we see them as words and we can try and imagine how awful they'll be and, and so forth, we can't even begin to get our minds around how awful that judgment is going uh, to be. And it reminds us of the importance of being found in the world in which we live in today, to be found watching and waiting and working uh, as Jesus exhorts us to, as the end of the age approaches, and as that other judgment that we will be spared of approaches. And I think it's a good word from the book of Lamentations. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer um, tonight. I'm always, before we pray, I'm not praying yet. I, I don't like to pray preach. Uh, so, but um, whenever I read through the Bible, you know, and, and I'm doing that always on a regular basis like you are, and, uh, and I read through Jeremiah and Lamentations, I'm always ready for something new uh, after I've finished it. But I'm always thankful for the work that it, it does inside of me when I'm in it. Uh, the strength of the warning, the strength of the imagery, the strength of the message, how I need it, how easily I can fall asleep in the midst of all of this and, com and commit the same uh, boneheaded mistakes and sins that, uh, that, that they did. And it's so valuable. Uh, we'll move next time uh, we come together on the Sunday night in, in our survey of the Scriptures. Uh, we'll move into Mark's Gospel, which will be uh, something quite different. And then we'll come back into Ezekiel after we finish Mark's Gospel. But um, praise the Lord for this book and Jeremiah and the time we spend in it. Lord, thank you so much for um, this visual. We thank you for this memorial service that you had Jeremiah conduct over the city of, of Jerusalem. And we thank you for the verbal video that he has given us of where sin leads and where it will lead not only a nation, but where it will lead an individual. And then to, in the midst of it, Lord, to give us the realization that no one is beyond your hope and beyond your plan with repentance and a, a turning back to you. I thank you, and, and we thank you, as, as those here can agree with me, for the strength of this description, Lord. Thank you for the sobriety of these books. Thank you for the high standard that it produces within our lives in a day when the standard is being lowered so quickly 
not only in the world, but even within professing Christianity. We thank you for the boldness. We thank you for the zeal for godliness, the love for you. Again, the sobriety that all of this produces within our minds and that we need so desperately in the deception and the delusions that make up the world that we live in today. Thank you for it, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you stand here tonight and you are not yet a 